Peter. When people need help, I never refuse. Welcome to Trap One Podcast. My name is Mark McManus. Today I'm delighted to welcome Ruth Long back to the podcast. Hi, Ruth. Hello. It's, it's great to be back for what, my uh, my fourth time, is it now, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Great. So today we're going to talk about the uh, the recent trailer, uh, which came out yesterday as we record. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pretty, I'm pretty excited for the new series anyway, but this, uh, this trailer looks amazing, I think. It looks absolutely epic. Yeah, I, I mean, the kind of, I think, um, like, thus far, they've been very, very secretive with this series. You know, the, the promotion has been so watertight. Um, and, and even the first trailer we got was just reaction shots mainly, so, that you know, they barely gave you anything to really sink your teeth into in yeah. terms of shots, even though it was a very good trailer. Whereas this one, I feel like, even though it's still very much, you know, holding back with what it reveals, you still, you get a really good sense of the tone, the, the visuals and, and the characters as well, which I really liked. And, you know, what else can you say but Jodie is the Doctor? Like, yeah. you, you just watch that and she is just 100%. You, you can, you, you genuinely think, believe that you know last time we saw her she was peter capaldi yeah definitely. <laughs> but yeah it's fantastic yeah completely i think like you say it doesn't get you don't see um really any aliens or monsters there's not really any any of the situations or plot lines given away yeah. um but just a huge sense of like action and fun and the special mm-hmm. effects even just seems to have taken another leap forward even from where we were with sin yeah, and it's it just looks incredible, like that ship that you see at the start. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm I, I'm pretty sure I can't remember exactly. They, they've got a different um, production team behind the special effects this time around. Right. Um, I think it's the same people who did uh, the recent Blade Runner movie. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's their television division, so not the same as the film, but still, like you can see the 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 talent on display and just how good the visuals look. Yeah, um, it was because it was the mill, wasn't it? Um, and then mm-hmm. yeah, I can't remember the name of the uh, of the new special effects guys. But yeah, I remember at the time the, the story breaking. Um, and yeah, the, I think the secrecy has been brilliant for it as well. Um, we've only well, the new Doctor Who magazine came out this week, and we got some details about the first two stories. We got the titles, mm-hmm. um, but but actually not that much detail. Really, you kind of know. Uh, a bit about the setting of the first one uh, and a bit of the setting of the second one, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's going to really drive interest and keep people keep people watching. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a fine line to walk because you obviously want to give, an, give away enough to, you know, really tease you, but not too much. And I think in the past it's safe to say that they have maybe being a bit too much given away. Uh, I, I mean, I say maybe, but, you know, for example, Series 9, they they gave away the Gallifrey returning in the synopsis. Yeah. And um, even though, like, I would argue that because that was for Hellbent or Heaven Sent and Gallifrey didn't turn out to really be the focus of those stories, it wasn't, you know, arguably it didn't give away the actual story, but it was a, it was a massive spoiler just dropped on us. You know, and you can imagine how much more impactful it would have been if we we had no idea. 
Um, and and obviously with John Sim in Series Ten, that was a good wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they they put it in for marketing sake, but at the same time, like it, it, the series didn't really need that, um, and it would have been so much more. You know, you can just imagine what it would have been like to watch the world enough in time, and then just see John Sim show up at the end. It would have been crazy. So I'm really hoping that. You know, we're we're going to get some experiences like that in Series Eleven, where you know we're just going to have the rug totally pulled, and and that is going to be an amazing feeling because, yeah, we haven't quite. I mean, we've had a lot of twists and turns that haven't been revealed in the past few series, but all the same, um, it's nice going in not knowing what's going to go on, and even not knowing the simple things. Um, Again, like it is a bit frustrating not knowing like anything. Yeah. But at the same time, like that there is just going to be this sense of just discovering everything mm-hmm. entirely for the first time when you watch it. Yeah, I think that they have kind of addressed some of maybe the the, the fan sort of backlash of, of the last few years with that, haven't they? That um, mm-hmm. that the things have been revealed, uh, and like you say, it's it's a fine line between generating publicity for the series and also keep you know holding things back um yeah. and you get people who, who sort of uh, visit the sets as well and try and take photos and reveal stuff um so i guess when john sim was on location they kind of knew that that, that yeah. might leak anyway but there's so few leaks from this one they seem to have managed to do it all in in, in secrecy oh yeah they, they have been seriously camping down on that um arguably in some cases a bit too much like um I remember they leaked the air date um, on oh, iTunes, yeah, yeah. and um, some of the outlets that reported it were, you know, penalised. Yeah, <laughs> and, just legal action, it. weren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, overstepping it <laughs> a bit personally, but um, you can understand, like, the, the need to, to want to restrict those leaks as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I hope it pays off. Like, I hope it there isn't anything that comes out, you know, just before the finale airs or whatever. Like, I, I really hope all of this secrecy is worth it and it pays off and it makes the experience even better. Yeah, it'd be a real shame um, because even the stuff that hasn't been announced in the past, there was leaks um, for Series mm-hmm. 8, weren't there, where some of the episodes found their way online? Yeah, the um, episodes leaked, the scripts leaked, yeah. and then and then there was the, the mirror, which, you know, mm. every other rumour they'd have would either be complete rubbish or they'd hit the nail on the head and yeah. give it away, like young Davros in Series 9, for example, and Clara dying in Episode 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, luckily they didn't give away the you know what happened in Hellbent but still like mm. giving away all of that stuff it's it's not great <laughs> no it, it just it's a shame because as a fan you are kind of hungry for details but at the same time <laughs> I, I'd rather go in unspoiled I've, I avoided that clip that leaked which I, I don't think has been on any trailers or anything since the um the 60 second I think it was clip that that found its way out um I avoided that oh yeah I remember that yeah uh, and pictures that that have leaked of the TARDIS interior, I haven't seen any of those either. So, no, I don't think I have either. Actually, 
Um, I, like, I, I think I've, I saw some of the leaked photos, but I haven't seen the TARDIS interior one, I'm pretty sure. And I kind of don't, I really don't want to, because like, seeing it revealed in the episode is going to be amazing. Yeah, because by all accounts, it was um, like a picture of the set unlit and, and kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, not when it's being shot on and things. So I don't think it's very flattering. So, yeah, you want to oh, see it yeah. with the companions for the first time, uh, kind of walking mm-hmm. through the doors. That's, uh, that's definitely the way to see it. Yeah, and I guess what Chris Chibnall's got on his side, uh, you know, saying about this, there's the fine line between generating the the new Doctor and the new Doctor being Jodie Whittaker, along with you know, kind of um, like Bradley Walsh is a real household name. Mm-hmm. The the fact that you know it's the right of Broadchurch, which is a huge hit. He's, he's kind of bringing a lot with him, which will get people to watch. So so he can get away without without revealing kind of tantalising things to to get people in. I suppose. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Um, I think from a fan perspective, that, that frustration is felt more. But for the general public, Jodie's casting in itself is is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, for a lot of people, it's it's going to be a draw to them. That, you know, maybe they drifted away from the show or maybe they've never tried it before. But, you know, this big change is obviously going to attract a new audience, which is fantastic. Yeah, and there's a, there's always a new generation of kids that are going to join each year as well. And uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, awesome. it, it it's amazing, you know, knowing that there are going to be kids growing up with Jodie as their doctor. Having you know, it, it, it's not going to be like like us like a few years ago um, or when we were kids. And it, there was always this question of will there be a female doctor? And it was always kind of like unclear and and mm. now that that's all behind us and you know we just know that this is the doctor and yeah. this is who she is and you know it, it is fantastic yeah and it, it seems like she's gonna be a brilliant another as the all the doctor been a brilliant ambassador for the show have you seen that the clip this week's been doing the rounds on the internet where she was reading out tweets mm-hmm. from yeah her, her reaction uh, so yeah, it seems like she's going to be kind of a great, fun presence in, in that way as well. So it makes me wish there was still some Doctor Who Confidential being made. Uh, I know, that's such a shame. Like, I, I, I wonder, I, I hope that with the new production team they're going to try and maybe revive it. Um, because it kind of, they had like um, these little 15 minute segments in Series 8 and 9 and then I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't have them in Series 10 at all. No, um, yeah, some online stuff, wasn't it? But, yeah, uh, but yeah. it's such a shame because that's so much, seeing the production and the crew and everyone come together, that's that's part of the joy of Doctor Who mm-hmm. because it has that, you know, that very kind of family-oriented feel to it and, um, yeah, I really hope they bring that back. And, and yeah, Jodie is absolutely, I mean... Peter was a phenomenal ambassador for Doctor Who. I, I, I genuinely, and, and all the Doctors have been, all of the actors for the companions and everyone has been. Um, but yeah, it, it's so good to see Jodie, you know, she really understands the importance of the role. Of, of course she does. And and she's so, you know, she's just completely embracing it. And um yeah, that, that video was quite funny because I remember one of them was like, oh, you've ruined it. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, you haven't seen me done it yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was hoping that, uh, was it Tardis Full of Bras one would be in there. But, uh, mm. Oh, yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other one we got a couple of weeks ago was the, um, just a very short, the, um, the breaking the glass ceiling one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a really nice little kind of, 
visual gag as well. Yeah, obviously the uh, the literal breaking of the glass yeah. ceiling with her casting. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that till the second view, and I've got to admit. But uh, once it, once it kind of clicked, I was like, oh yeah, that's very clever. Yeah, because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for. I thought, oh, this is the first part, and then we're going to see what was breaking the glass ceiling, or there was going to be some follow up, and then I, I realised what it was. Yeah, I was a bit bit slow there, really. And it was like it's kind of the doctor in a nutshell, like a whole massive ornate ceiling collapsing and she's just like, whoops. Yeah, Yeah, so not long now, two weeks. No, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone really like the the first, I don't know, the first eight or so months went really slowly. But now we're in the home stretch. It feels like it's going quite quickly, which is nice. Yeah, everything's kind of speeding up, isn't it? We're getting trailers and we're getting more details. Mm-hmm. There's a really nice interview with Jodie Whittaker in Doctor Who magazine this month. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, tantalisingly close now. And um, mm-hmm. I was at the Warp convention in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. and that was, there was such a palpable sense of excitement for the new series. It was, it was amazing. And so many 13th Doctor cosplayers there. Uh, it was... Uh, it's always a great feeling right before a new series, I think. Um, and oh, yeah. And a new Doctor and things, there's so much anticipation and uh, optimism about it. It's, uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen some kind of uh, people saying there shouldn't be like pop music on a Doctor Who trailer. It should be sort of the, the usual orchestral stuff. I think it fits perfectly. I, I think it works really well. Yeah, I, I, I like, obviously it's a matter of personal taste, but you've got to remember that these trailers are very much geared to a mainstream audience, and you can understand why they've gone for like, you know, popular songs from the charts um, to use. And um, it's not as if like, well, I don't know this for sure, but it's not as if that's going to be the actual soundtrack of no. the show. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe we'll get like the odd, <laughs> like. You know, as occasionally happens in the show, you get you know Fox's cameo or yeah. things like that. But it's it's mainly just for the promotion, so it doesn't bother me in the least. And I I felt that this particular song, like obviously, it's not everyone's a fan of it, but if you listen to the lyrics of it, it's very fitting yeah, for the Doctor. Definitely. I saw an online rumor that the new theme tune is going to be sung by Sia. Yeah, I heard that as well. <laughs> Doesn't I mean, seem that, very likely. That would be an interesting <laughs> choice. Um, I mean, it, it, Sia would be, I, I think she could pull it off, but yeah. I, I'd be very sceptical yeah. to see how that would actually work. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's sort of filed under uh, wild rumour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think what Chris Chibnall said, it, it's a reworking of the original recordings uh, that Delia Derbyshire did, so it'd be, be really interesting to see how they've done it. I oh, that would be fantastic! It's not debuting until episode two. No, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you've got to wonder what approach they're going to take in uh, the woman who fell to earth. Um, I imagine they're going to go for something kind of like the day of the Doctor's opening credits, like a like a cinematic. That's what I was uh, thinking. Yeah, you know. it, it is getting a cinema showing in some countries, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what occurred to me as well with the um, with the names coming up, like the beginning of a movie. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So we're going to talk about uh, the Triple Knife today, which is a collection of Jenny T. Colgan's Doctor Who stories. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, so the book basically um, it's a 
as you said, it's a collection um, from the same author. Um, and the three main stories are uh, the titular Triple Knife, which is a story from the Legends of Ashilda um, anthology. Um, uh, Into the Nowhere, which is a story featuring the Doctor and Clara. And um, the last one was Picnic Asgard, I Picnic think it was. Asgard, yeah. Um, it's from the Diary of River Song, is it? Or the- yeah, Diary of River yeah. Song. Um, I get no the Legends of River Song. I get confused between yes. the novel and the audio series because yeah, they have the yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and there's also two uh, additional stories, which also Doctor Carr ones, um, which I think were originally published in the Scientific Secrets of Doctor Who, um, but they're like little short ones at the end. So it's those three main stories, um, most of all. Yeah, so the the triple knife is first, as you say, the um, the Ashilda one. So this one doesn't have the Doctor in at all. No, no, um, and as Jenny describes in the introduction, it, it's barely even a Doctor Who story, um, and I, I adore this story, so I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I remember you saying, actually, it was one of your favourite pieces of Doctor Who fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole book, um, mainly because um, it has this very distinct feel to it, um, and like I said, it, it doesn't really feel like it's Doctor Who, um, because you're entirely focused on um, a shielder, uh, slash me and um and her history and um and each story is kind of told in a different way so the first two of that anthology are in third person and they're kind of told in a very like uh kind of almost like someone's retelling a story um over you know a drink or in a very like old-fashioned cryptic way um and then the the latter two stories one of which is the triple knife is um told you know it's it's supposed to be directly from her diaries um but this one um it's probably my favorite in that collection um and also it's it's just such a, a powerful story I think because mm-hmm. um, it is dark in a way that you don't normally see in Doctor Who um, but yeah I, I do have a lot of thoughts about this one yeah I completely I think that's the the ending is what makes it feel so it's so bleak that it's not mm-hmm. like a Doctor Who story yeah it's uh, so it's set in 1348 mm-hmm. and a shielder is sailing from France to Britain with her three children, uh, Essie, Johan, and Rue. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's kind of written in her diary, which it made me wonder if she had, if she'd brought all her diaries with her because she's got like quite a big select, quite, quite a big collection by this point. Uh, yes. She, um, I think it's in, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'd have to grab uh, my copy of Legends of the Shielder, but um, it does say in the story after this one, that she does bring them around with her and she has, I think she pays someone to like collect them. Ah, um, right. And then she eventually brings them all with her um, into this manor house, um, which is where we see her in the Woman Who Lived episode. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I suppose she doesn't have them at the very end, at the kind of the end of the universe when she sets off in the TARDIS with Clara. She doesn't have them with her then, does she? Although I guess that's so far in the future, they could be on a, an e-book um, that's <laughs> in a pocket, couldn't it? it would, uh, they could presumably save an awful lot of information in a, in a very small uh, small space by that stage. You just could have scanned them all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's a really fascinating kind of point to delve into, just because that, that whole 
like uh, me by the time she's in hell bent you just have no idea what she's done in all that time yeah um and it's kind of beyond comprehension just how long she's been around for um so yeah it's fascinating to speculate what happened to her diaries what she still remembers you know all of that stuff um because she can be a completely different person really you know across the the span of a couple of human lifetimes um, depending on what experiences she's had in that time that she can remember compared to what she's got written down. Yeah, something I always really liked, um, I can't remember who it was, but there's a really interesting kind of way of describing um, Mie's appearances um, in, in the show. So uh, each time she appears, she's kind of a different, even though she, you know her age kind of loses all meaning after a while because it starts going into centuries and millennia. Each time we see her, she's kind of at a different life stage. So uh, in The Girl Who Died, she's very innocent and childlike. Um, she's probably about 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, she very much represents innocence and, and childhood, and she's very impulsive. Um, and then you see The Woman Who Lived, um, and she's kind of like a teenager almost. She's very old, obviously. She's far old. You know, she's probably about 600 years old by then. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of acts a little bit like a teenager, um, albeit one who's been through a hell of a lot. Yeah. Um, and um, But she's got that kind of rebellious attitude. She's just very hostile towards the doctor. Um, and she's she's making very rash and reckless decisions, um, and then you get to face the Raven, and she's very much like a the immature adult, mm. um, and she's very cold, and um, you know I think she's got it all figured out, um, and obviously she doesn't because her whole plan falls apart. Um, but at the same time, you still she's a, she's grown so much even since we last saw her. Um, and then you get to help Ben and she's like the sage old woman, <laughs> even though she's in an 18 year old, 19 year old's body. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting seeing her at those different stages. And I think she is such a, a hard character to pin down because of how many people she's been, mm. um, in a different way to say maybe the doctor. Um, but, yeah, it's very hard. Like something we found with our series is trying to almost redefine her character, um, taking into account everything that we've seen of her, even in you know her four appearances that have been wildly different, um, and trying to find the the common ground there. And um, especially with Hellbent, because we barely see her in the episode, trying to you know create the whole character around that and what we do know. Um, that has been very hard, but it's also been really fascinating and rewarding. Yeah, so we should say if anybody um, hasn't heard any of your previous appearances on the podcast, uh, you are the showrunner for Clara Roswell, The Untold Adventures, uh-huh. uh, which is a spin-off series with Clara and me set after Hellbent mm-hmm. in the American Diner TARDIS, which will be coming yeah. out in January 2019. Uh, yeah, January is sort of the tentative release date, okay. um, so we're going to see how we go because our, our priority really is making sure that all of the stories are done and they're as good as they possibly can be. Um, so we're, we're aiming for January, but it, it's, I, we're going to probably say early 2019 is our, our general like window. Um, 
but yeah, we'll, we'll obviously keep you updated, um, and we'll we'll definitely be revealing more as time goes on because it's things are definitely moving along really well at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get into that when we get to yeah. the Clara story, maybe. <laughs> cool, and I will put links in the show notes um, to, to your website, and uh, we can get further information for that as well. I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to reading those. Uh, so um, yeah, yeah, so this, this story. Yeah, so this this is kind of um, I guess in, in terms of the television appearances, it's obviously between the girl who died and the woman who lived. And yeah. as we saw her in the woman who lived, she was kind of desperately wanting to go out into space, having kind of got a little taste of it, meeting the doctor and the Maya in in her first story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when she she sees her opportunity in this uh, story, this this short story, we, we kind of get where she's coming from that uh, that she wants to. She knows there's more out there, and she wants, and she's so different from any other human that she's she's keen to to get out of there. Yeah, and obviously uh, the big the big central focus of this story is in the woman who lived. There's a flashback uh, to to the plague um, in England, and um, she, we see that she loses her three children. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the story of how that happened. Um, big spoilers, obviously. Um, but the fascinating thing about this story is um, you, it is so completely brutal in how it plays out. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's not wrapped around some big romp or anything like that. It's a very bleak story, and it's written in that way as well. Like you can tell that she's just so tired of her life and all that she's been through um, because. Something that's really important to point out is that in The Girl Who Died, she wasn't interested in running away into space. She she said that, you know, leaving her, her village would be like death to her. Mm-hmm. And that obviously works to show the, the irony of what would happen to her when she just becomes so fed up of the world and so fed up of, you know, the suffering that keeps bringing her that she just wants to escape. Um, but her children have kind of, been her anchors um, mm. at this point, um, even though they're very young, and she she knows that she's going to outgrow them, which is why she she moved to England with them. Like she left her husband because she knew that um, even though he's a very patient man, only his suspension of disbelief would go on for so long. So she left him, and she's obviously planning to leave her children when they're old enough as well. Um, but she brings them to England for a new life, and uh, unfortunately, um, as fate would have it, that's just when the the Black Plague is breaking out, and uh, you can kind of work out what happens from there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of ominous from the start, because like you say, because we know from the TV show that the children died, so there's a, an air of foreboding uh, mm. over the story to begin with. Um, and then her daughter has adopted a rat on the ship to England, which she then brings when they find their lodgings in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another French woman who they share a coach into the city with, uh, who very shortly comes down with the plague. Yeah. Um, and you, you, yeah, from there on you can, you can see where it's going. Uh, and then, so she's trying to help this woman and she's visited by a plague doctor, or what we think is a plague doctor, because they've got the, what we think of as the plague doctors with the big kind of beaked mask and the, the goggle eyes and, and yeah. things like that. Um, but it's not as a mask, it's actually what the alien looks like. Um, and uh, who they, he calls himself a scientist, uh, this alien, which is a new term 
to me, which mm-hmm. uh, I thought was interesting. Um, then uh, what it made me think of us, there's, um, in, there's a Jonathan Morris novel called Plague City, mm-hmm. uh, which is set in Edinburgh, uh, but about 300 years after this, when there's another outbreak of plague, and there's uh, like an unearthly plague doctor in that as well. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought they two were going to be linked at first, um, but they're not. Well, other than the fact that the the scientists, as they appear in this, are an inspiration, uh, because they do bring a modicum of hope to people with the plague, that they build these suits to to emulate what they look like. Um, Yeah, there's... um there is a real sense of irony there as well because these scientists, as uh, me quickly learns, uh, that they, they have no interest in actually curing the people who are ill. Mm. They're just there to chop them up like lab rats and uh, learn about them and their diseases so that they can, you know, bring that in, that knowledge to their own people. And that's a really kind of twisted idea. Um, and um, so they're, they're obviously, but they're, the, the association of them being doctors um, and healers still carries on, even though that was a front for these particular uh, creatures, yeah. um, which is why uh, after that, uh, the local people start wearing those masks, according to this story. Um, which is but yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's very uh, kind of twisted version of that. Yeah, because it's a good explanation because those seats, are, uh, those suits are really scary looking. It, it's mm-hmm. it's not the last thing you'd want to see if you were um, dying of a <laughs> plague. Uh, you no. know, the last thing you see is this terrifying vision. Um, I was on holiday in, in Prague early this year, mm-hmm. and um, I went in this bar, and there's a particular drink that you could order. Um, yeah. You didn't order one, but some people at the next table did, and. Um, when the, the guy took the order, he went behind the bar and he put on this plague doctor oh my um, God. <laughs> kind of head and cloak and then came back out and it was, um, it was like a drink and there's like kind of um, like smoke pouring off it and things like that. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, it was really, it was a really kind of dark, weird place anyway. Was like, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> a nice bit of theatre with it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good explanation that that design came from aliens because it, it's so weird and out there, isn't it? I, I've always kind of loved that about Who, the way it takes uh, familiar uh, images um, and, and and does add this alien element to them. I like the with the cockroach droids and the masquerade ball masks. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Um, and obviously weeping angels and statues. Um, but, um, yeah, and uh, it, it's just... Um, they very much feel like Grim Reapers in this story because mm. whoever they visit shortly dies afterwards. They're, they're already on death's door, yeah. um, which is why the scientists don't see themselves as immoral. Like they, they said there's no right or wrong in science. There's just the truth, which is what they're seeking. Um, and I, and I, I do really love how that clashes with, with me in particular because with the doctor or one of his companions, they have the outsider knowledge. They have knowledge that these are aliens. They have knowledge from the future. Whereas Mia's very much still of her time at that point. So she doesn't have knowledge beyond what she's learned in the past few centuries. She doesn't know beyond that. Um, so she's still very taken aback by by them. And she, she remembers uh, the, the smell of... Um, of a spaceship from when she was still called a shielder. Yeah. Um, 
which is really interesting. And and I, I, I love those little flashes into her, her feelings and what she does remember of her past as well. Yeah, and I let, like you say, she's she's only got the sort of knowledge of her time, but the, the stuff about um, boiling water to purify it that she's, she's learnt on her travels, mm-hmm. it's kind of like contemporary uh, technology or knowledge, but, but does help as well, does help a bit sort of stave, stave off the plague to some extent, I think. Yeah, and even so, um, one of the biggest things that I, I love about this story, um, what makes it so effective is, is that kind of sense of doom hanging over it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you know that she's trying and, and she even has this wild moment where, which is so, I, I, I almost don't want to give it away, but I'm hoping that anyone who, I, I, I recommend anyone reading both this story and the whole collection because it's so good. Um, but there's this um, this bit I'm going to spoil now, where she she wants you know she learns that these these play doctors are actually aliens, and um, she gets this sort of sudden surge of hope by oh I can I can actually escape with them mm. I can bring my children and we can escape with them and she knows that they're not to be trusted but she's like. You know, I can deal with anything. They're not gonna hold me down. I can, yeah. I can own anyone. Um, so she has this moment, but as she tries to board the ship, she realizes that her children are still ill with the plague, and it's not a disease that they can recover from. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this horrible moment where she's torn between running away, knowing that her children are as good as dead, and staying with them and watching them die. Um, so there's that that bit, and then oh, oh, she ultimately decides to stay with them and you know watch them die, basically. Um, so it's a very very grim ending, but it's also very powerful. Yeah, it's it's desperately sad, isn't it? And I think especially when um, you realise because you it's all been from her point of view, and she thought they were getting better, mm-hmm. but they've actually just been trying really hard for her. Um, yeah, exactly. They've, they've never been getting better. That that's a real uh, kind of gut punch, I think, when you when you realise that. Yeah, because they all they all get sick fairly early on, um, but obviously Mia recovers pretty quickly. Um, but her children have just been keeping going for her sake um, until she realises that they are still sick, and you know there's no hope left for them. Um, yeah, I remember when I first read that story, I was seriously like, oh my God, I can't believe they went there. But at the time, because I wasn't aware at first that it was that story until obviously once you realise about the plague, you you know what's going to happen. But just seeing exactly how it plays out, mm. you know, knowing the outcome doesn't really make it any less impactful. No. Um, and, um, and there's also the ending of the story is very poignant as well because there's a deleted scene um in series nine where um me goes up to a play doctor um and says my my i think i think it's been a while since i've seen it but she mentions about the play being carried by the rat fleas um and then you see her walk off and the doctor that she was speaking to is the doctor takes off the mask and it's 12 Ah. um and you actually see that moment in the end of this story in the book where she goes up to one of the play doctors and the very last line is, I, could, I didn't turn around to see his face. I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, and so you, you know reading that, that that's actually the doctor that she was speaking to. And also there's, there's something horrible having seen her go through that and knowing that the doctor 
was around a few days after those events because mm. um, it, it kind of it, it does throw the world of the doctor into stark relief against because she's very much a more a, a more grounded character in a lot of ways um because she's had to live the slow path, whereas the Doctor's very much dipping around time and space, you know, not really staying for the fallout. Um, so it was. I think it's just so interesting getting that perspective. Yeah, definitely. I, do, I was totally unaware of that deleted scene, so that's really interesting. It does put a completely mm-hmm. different spin on it. I thought um, she was given that information because that's what the scientists say to her, that it's carried on the fleas on the back of the rats, that that was actually going to help in some way, that that plague doctor was um, was only going to um, kind of use that knowledge. But uh, obviously, if it was the doctor, it was something he was already aware of, uh, then it, it didn't go any further. So it's That's true. That's well, very true. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know. I totally didn't pick up on that. I'll have to, um, have to re-watch the deleted scenes on that box set now. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, I can't remember the exact context. I'm pretty sure it was that scene, and which is why they focused on at the end of this story, the fact that she didn't turn around to see whose face it was when the guy took the mask off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth watching because the, 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 the deleted scenes for the children in Series 9 are so good, and I'm not really sure why they were cut, so... That one and the girl who died one are both very good. Right, that's what I'm doing this weekend then. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next story in the collection is Into the Nowhere, uh, which was one of the Puffin monthly e-books that came out um, in the anniversary of 2013. So a different author each month. Uh, So in the 11th Mm. month, which is November, we got the uh, the 11th Dr. Matt Smith one, which was Jenny Colgan's contribution. Mm-hmm. and is the 11th Doctor and Clara, who are obviously the, the current TARDIS crew at that time. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this story, I, I, with the, uh, the other two stories, I'd read them before a while ago, so I knew them quite well, and I, I reread them for this podcast. This story I read for the first time today, ah, right. so I, I've still got very fresh thoughts on it, but um, it, it really perplexed me, actually. So... Um, it's an odd one, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one because uh, obviously we we we've seen we we know Clara probably a lot better with the twelfth Doctor. So it's always kind of weird going back with her in eleven because um, it's a very different dynamic and also a lot less is known about the character then as well. Um, so it's, there's a very much you you get a very different perspective on things. Um, and, um, yeah, and the story itself is just, it's fascinating to me. And I'm not entirely, I'm still kind of trying to understand exactly what went down in it. Yeah, um, I don't I know like how you feel. Yeah, I felt the same. I remember when I read it in 2013, feeling the same. It's it's unsettling, isn't it, as well? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's an odd one. And it, it's weird because it, it starts off quite fun, the, the the first scene in the TARDIS is quite sort of jokey and mm-hmm. um, the, the kind of the banter between them and then yeah it goes uh, it goes completely different. Um, one thing I liked in the a couple of bits in the in the TARDIS before they land, um, there's a nice reference to the Doctor missing K9. Yeah, Clara yeah, says that's uh, that she mentions him a lot. I, I really like, I love K9, so I love mm-hmm. <laughs> I love those references and it reminded me a bit of. Um, the, the day of the Doctor, um, when they're in the barn at the end and Clara says that, uh, she, said she, she kind of references the fact that the Doctor talks about ending the time war quite a lot. 
and she's yeah uh, you get the impression that she's privy to a lot of his (laughs) because yeah and and also yeah she she also says in um when she's speaking to the war doctor he's always talking about the day he did it yeah Um, which is interesting actually because the doctor you wouldn't expect maybe to be very open about these things, but maybe because Kara's at that point has been through his whole timeline. Yeah, <laughs> and, and with with that amount of time that's that's passed as well, like the sort of the ninth Doctor was very um, kind of circumspect about it. Yeah, he it was it was kind of very raw for him, so it wasn't mm-hmm. something he really talked about uh, or very uh, you know reluctantly talked about. Um, I guess a couple of regenerations down the line, you know, he's able to uh, to open up to his companion a bit more about it. And that's also, you know, he, he also starts to, uh, according to the doctor, starts to forget as well. He, he's yeah. not, <laughs> he's, he's obviously, he can't remember how many children died or maybe he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, and they actually explain that in... Um, in Stephen Moffat's novelisation of the episode as well. Yeah. Um, but I won't spoil exactly what goes down there. Um, I, something but, I, yeah. I noticed a few times, this sort of the 11th Doctor and Stephen Moffat taking over the writing, was mm-hmm. up to that point, up to the 10th Doctor, and including the 10th Doctor, he could remember everything. So the 10th Doctor makes reference to um, you know the Censorites and the Romans and, and kind of early mm-hmm. first Doctor stories. And then once you get into the 11th Doctor... Uh, he can't remember the great intelligence from the from the Patrick Troughton stories, um, and he's he's a lot more hazy about his his past. Um, and then the twelfth Doctor can't even remember the girl in the fireplace. Yeah, yeah. Um, deep breath. He, he he's smelling a rose. So the symbol is literally right there in front of him. Yeah. Um, it was interesting that uh, I mean he had just spent sort of two thousand years on Trenzalore, um, I suppose immediately prior to that. Um, but yeah, just as something about the way Stephen Moffat writes him as less less able to remember, and I guess it's the kind of thing that he feeds into um, me as well, isn't it? That somebody so long lived could not, you know, possibly <clears throat> possibly remember that far back. And there's probably there's also an element of repression as well. I'm sure, like yeah. some of the the traumatic things like the time war, he would want to just bury, <laughs> yeah. which is why he buried the the very existence of the wall doctor mm-hmm. um but yeah sort of coming back to the context of the story it is interesting how i mean even it, it does make you think about um how much the doctor and Clara really do know each other um even there in that story because you get you get to death in heaven and Clara's just reciting off his whole history like i've been married four times i have a i have a non-gallifrey daughter all of this stuff <laughs> and you're like how does she know all of this stuff yeah. and you know that either she picked some of this stuff up from the time stream business or mm. the doctor gen- genuinely told her these things yeah there's uh yeah and it's it's nice thinking of them just having downtime like that isn't it and just mm-hmm. uh, just talking about each other's past the other nice little um reference that i like before they land uh the doctor's been trying to, so they're orbiting a planet which the doctor doesn't recognize and mm-hmm. can't find in the tardis databanks or any reference and there's a nice little reference to the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy 
Um, Clara sees like a, a book on the console and just, oh like, yeah and, I didn't pick that up at the time I didn't at first yeah. he said there's a, they could just you could just make out a D and a P and I was thinking mm-hmm. what on earth is that but it's Don't Panic which is the yeah. cover to the Check of the Galaxy which um, I think um, Jenny Colgan must be a bit of a fan because in, in her novelization of The Christmas Invasion she she really expands on that, that line from the episode mm-hmm. about Arthur Dent as well and creates a bit of a history for the Doctor and Arthur and Ford. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and it sort of hints that Ford Prefect's a Time Lord as well in that, which is uh, yeah. interesting as well. Uh, so they, they land on this planet, which doesn't have a name, um, doesn't have any any re- records anywhere, and start to explore. And it's, 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 to begin with, quite a fairy tale quality to the story, I thought. Yeah, but the whole story, you're, you're kind of, it feels quite dreamlike, because you're... Mm constantly sort of jumping between different things going on and it's all very surreal um so um like this planet is just covered in skeletons uh of course it is uh, <laughs> and um uh there's quicksand and all of these dangers and the doctor and clara are constantly and it, it does not let up yeah. especially on clara like just one thing after the other <laughs> yeah it's um yeah, it sort of reminded me of The Princess Bride, where there's kind of quicksand and different stuff like that. Mm. Oh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. They, they go into these trees and they, they start... And that's kind of a proper fairy tale thing, isn't it, of, uh, of, of creepy woods. Uh, and then the trees are getting thicker, and then Clara can see a light, so she starts to run towards it, but it's actually a huge forest fire, which uh, yeah. the Doctor kind of warns her just in time. Um, and then a ravine full of giant maggots, which... <laughs> And then um, giant snakes after that as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then uh, and they're constantly followed by this skeleton as well um, that that's just writing out messages for them uh, out of its own bones. Yeah. Um, it's such a creepy idea as well. It shaves off bones from its finger, mm-hmm. uh, which then form themselves into letters. Yeah. I, I, like I said, it's just it's a very trippy story. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, the, the, the whole crux behind it is um, is that they're essentially on, at, at least what I can discern, is that they're essentially on the Garden of Eden. Um, yeah. And um, it's been managed, I say that very loosely, <laughs> uh, by this one one guy who, who lives in a, skeleton, a house made of skeletons or bones. Um, and um, he's basically treating the place like some sort of game uh, or theme park, just sort of this sadistic Hunger Games kind of thing going on. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this was inspired by the Hunger Games because it feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, very hostile environment and one this person hold up, controlling it all with all these view screens. <laughs> yeah, so he's, uh, he's he says he's been hired to, to hide the planet and protect it, um, but he won't say by who to begin with and he said that he sort of turned against them or they turned against him because they didn't like his methods mm-hmm. so the planet's now hidden from them as well uh, and he's just described as sort of enormously fat because he just sits there and he's got a huge stash of food and he never moves from the computer screen yeah <laughs> um but then the the doctor and clara kind of get the skeleton he's got these kind of army of skeletons which they realize are actually robots and the the bones are linked together by these filaments mm-hmm. um but they're not entirely just robots because they, they turn onto the Doctor and Clara's side when the Doctor sees a child skeleton, which she then 
uh, instinctively, which is a very nice scene because, you know, she's been, um, well, well, especially at this point when she's with the 11th Doctor, she's um, a nanny, isn't she, or a kind of au pair? Yeah, I, I mean, after the name of the Doctor, and and so around this, the time the story set, she's probably just started being a teacher yeah. around this time, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, um, like you said, she instinctively hugs this child skeleton, which kind of breaks the the spell. Um, but yeah, that that was a very a very impactful moment, definitely. Yeah, and and the, the, there's some kind of um, essence of the people left in these skeletons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a creepy idea because they've been sort of trapped and enslaved by this guy uh, called Etienne. Um, that. Uh, is protecting this place and then uh, the, the doctor starts asking him about it and kind of realizes that he does know where he is mm-hmm. and he does know why this guy's guarding it but uh and he starts to open a, a sort of drawbridge in the wall which the doctor starts begging him not to which is kind of really you realize how serious it is because the doctor just says no we'll leave you here yeah we'll just walk away um and it opens on to what appears to be the garden of eden or it's, it's explained mm-hmm. that it appears to be the garden of eden because it's it's pulled that imagery from Clara's head and from some of the other people who've sort of yeah. fallen victim to the planet um, and yeah it's very odd isn't it that it's this place where if you eat the fruit or, or what the fruit symbolises you are aware of all the sort of knowledge of the universe and all the pain and suffering and everything like that and this this, this is kind of what really perplexes me and intrigues me about this story because the fruit the because on the surface, and and this is, um, I, I I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I'm very fussy when it comes to how Clara's written in prose because mm. I, I generally find she's not usually portrayed um, as as well as maybe she is on the show. That's a personal preference, at least from what I've read in the novel. Is there there are definitely some that are really strong, but I find the general trend is that. They tend to uh, either skirt over um, certain aspects of her character and kind of just play her as the generic companion. And it doesn't really help when that she really gets criticism sometimes that she's generic. And personally, like I couldn't, that isn't further, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and um, so it kind of irritates me when she's portrayed that way in a story because they're not really understanding because she is. Uh, the whole reason that The Untold Adventures is such a passion project is because I find her to be such a complex and layered and contradictory character. And you definitely see that on the show, especially in Series 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm always looking for a story that portrays Clara uh, and at least gets to the heart of the fact that she is a very layered character. And on the surface, in this story, she's very much... a quote-unquote damsel in distress because she's constantly facing peril after peril and the doctor's constantly saving her so I think if they it was just played straight like that I probably wouldn't be a very big fan of the story but what what I find really interesting about this one is it actually uses this to draw a parallel between her and the doctor um and it delves a little bit into all of these layers that she has and these contradictions, even this early on, because um, obviously Jenny Corgan didn't have the full context of Clara in Series 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
So I really liked how she actually got to the fact that there's a lot of stuff that Clara's maybe burying. Um, and obviously it's an allusion as well to her echoes and jumping into the Doctor's time stream. But I like the insinuation that she understood um, deep down the cost of the Doctor's life lifestyle more necessarily than someone with different experiences would. Mm. Um, so they kind of drew the parallel between her and the Doctor in that respect. And um, I thought that was such an interesting choice. But yeah, um, I'm always looking for a story with, with Clara to do more than just play her as the companion, because she is a lot more than that, in my opinion. I think I think there's she's a lot more flawed than that. She's a lot more kind of ruthless when the situation calls it. Um, and although the, the story didn't really touch on that here, it, it did get into something that I, I, I think is really interesting. Yeah, there are hints, aren't there, which... And I feel like a lot of it's open to interpretation as well. Mm. Um, yeah, quite how much each of them understand because they they're psychically psychically linked at one point aren't they mm -hmm. um and it's a bit like when the doctor does the same with Raynette in the girl in the fireplace in that it's the you know the door once open can can go both ways or i can't quite remember the quote uh, yeah it's gets, along those lines yeah she gets an insight into him at the same time there as well um, and he's kind of shocked by what he finds looking into her head as well because mm. there's Oh, there's a lot in there um, and, um, and that touches on the I, that's another fascinating thing about the story so it is a post name of the Doctor story and there's very little actually exploring uh, the fallout of that episode because it's left on this cliffhanger and then you know the next episode we're we're however long later Clara's only a teacher we don't know what's happened in the time since so it's interesting kind of exploring how things were after that um, yeah. between the Doctor and Clara and how much she remembers or, you know, it's sort of buried deep down in her, her memory somewhere. Yeah, that isn't, it's not very, it's a, it's a shame they didn't get longer together as well, isn't it? I think um, Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman. Because uh, it, it would have been interesting to have a series after the name of the Doctor with, with some of the ramifications of that. Um, I mean, I always want more of a doctor, so it's, <laughs> it's yeah, not unique for that. Absolutely. Uh, but um, yeah, and I suppose it juxtaposes, um, like we're saying at the beginning of this story, how well they know each other, um, but more superficially, like uh, the Doctor, Mrs. K9, he talks about this and talks about that, but mm -hmm. then they get they get to know each other a little bit deeper in this one as well. Yeah, and and you you very much feel um, if you look at uh, series seven. Um, for most of that series, the Doctor can't really see Clara for who she actually is. He's he's seeing her as a puzzle to be solved, um, which translates into the audience seeing her that way, um, unfortunately, uh, which I think is why some people didn't really connect with her much in that series, because she was kind of kept at arm's length from us in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, because the, we were, the Doctor almost became the audience surrogate because we were both trying to figure Clara out. Mm. Um, and because of that, we didn't get to know her maybe as much as we should have done, uh, which is why Series 8 and 9 were so important for building on the foundations um, of that series. But you very much feel like it isn't until after the name of the Doctor and that mystery is solved and dealt with that the Doctor really starts to 
you know, embrace Clara for who she is. Um, so it's nice seeing some of that development in there because after the name of the Doctor, we only have two episodes with mm. those two. Um, so it's nice to get more of that, really. Yeah, and they're apart for quite a lot of the time of the Doctor, aren't they? Um, mm. so, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's Although that, that works very much in the episode's favour, I think, yeah. like the emotional impact. Yeah. But yeah, because there's an element of mistrust up to that point, isn't there? Like in the mm. uh, the journey to the centre of the TARDIS, when they think, when the Doctor thinks, you know, they, they they could die, he sort of comes out and says, like, who are you? You know, it's, it is like up to that point he hasn't really trusted her. Um, uh, so it's, yeah. it's a good one, like say, once they're past that, um, it, it's a better relationship and uh, the character can grow. Yeah, and um, and obviously, I mean, you see, you see the difference in the day of the Doctor. You see how well she knows him just from like talking to the War Doctor, and and when that very last scene when she she's like, I always know, um, and and obviously you see it with the Twelfth Doctor more than ever. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to see that relationship growth. Uh, between her and the 11th Doctor as well. Um, and you, you do feel how close they are um, when he regenerates. Um, but yeah, the, this story is just, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, there's a lot to unpack with it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, I, I kind of, it is an early, an early story with Clara, but I, I, I I would I would be absolutely fascinated to see a full length. I'm not sure if one's been published um, yet because not counting the two short stories at the end of this one, um, I don't know if Jenny Colgan's written uh, a proper short story with Clara and Twelve, um, like a feet a full length one. No, um, I don't think so. Because um, I'd be really fascinated uh, to read that because she is a very good character writer. Yeah. Um, I think she absolutely gets she gets River spot on. She gets Ashilda, uh me spot on, um, in my opinion, um, and Eleven as well. Um, with Clara in this one again because it's a very early. Uh, it was written with a very early kind of interpretation of her. Um, I would love to see what she does with Clara as we see her in say series late series eight or series nine. Yeah. Um, with a full, cause obviously the scientific secret stories, um, they're shorter, they're more interspersed among the other parts of the book. So they're not really there to tell any juicy character stories. Yeah. Um, they're, they're nowhere near the depth of, of the other, of the main three stories in, in this collection, are they? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'd love to see that because I, I do feel like Clara's kind of played a little bit too much. Um, like a damsel in distress I think she manages to subvert that a bit with the point she's putting across at the end which I think really does make it a lot more um but I, I would be fascinated to see because like I said I, I just um uh, and this is something that I'm kind of going to segue into talking about the untold adventures is um it's it, it, she's a very difficult character to write in prose um which is why I think um, some stories have kind of struggled a bit to get a handle on her. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 writing for this series has been a definite challenge because uh, there's a whole lot of contradiction involved with her character. Um, she's very much a character that uh, presents a facade. Um, to she, she's very much she lives by 
the the way she uh, can control how people perceive her, basically. Um, and I think it's very hard to get a character down. And, and there's also a lot of self-deception going on with her character as well. You see it in Series 9, especially. as a very good example where um, she's just in denial about her recklessness um, and just what she's doing with how, how flippant she is with her own mortality. And every time the Doctor tries and brings it up, she's... It just shuts him down because she's not interested in hearing about it. And um, I, I just find that she's so interesting when she's she's like that. She's not dealing with introspection properly. Um, and, you know, she tries to cover up some of her flaws, but some of them she embraces. So there's, there's a whole lot going on with her character. Um, and I'd love to see uh, an author like Jenny Colgan take all of that on um, because I think she could absolutely do an amazing job with it because she certainly did with um with me and river yeah definitely. <laughs> uh so uh the next story is picnic at asgard which is from the uh it's the legends of river song is that right well, yes it, it's yeah the anthology, it? yeah. So, yeah we get mixed up with the diary of river song which is the big finish series mm-hmm. right? yeah uh, <laughs> and this um so this is a line Kind of a throwaway line in, I think, the Impossible Astronaut, isn't it? When they when they're synchronising the diaries, I yeah, yeah. Says, uh, "Have we done the picnic in Asgard yet?" Um, so it's it's an intriguing line, and you think, "Are they? Is it going to be actual Asgard?" Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of from uh, Viking mythology or Norse mythology, uh, or from like the Marvel movies. But this is a huge theme park. Yeah. Um- I, I, I love I love it when um, the expanded material takes, uh, like we were saying with the uh, backstory um, of Me's children. Um, I love it when uh, the expanded material takes a throwaway line or an adventure that we got hinted at but never got to see, um, and and it gets expanded upon. And um, yeah, this this story is a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah, it's um, and it, it starts off. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the Rings of Akatan. Um, in that, it takes a little while for the kind of the threat to get going, and you, you just get scenes of um, in in Akatan, it's the Doctor and Clara, and this it's the Doctor and River. It's kind of mm-hmm. just wandering around and seeing the sights, and uh, it's it's quite nice that it kind of really harks back to to maybe older stories where there would be a much more of an element of exploration before the threat or the plot get going. Yeah, and I think especially given the setting, um, like, like with The Rings of Akaten, it's a completely alien setting. Um, so there's no kind of historical uh, basis to, mm-hmm. to build it on. There's no contemporary setting or... And, even with like a spaceship setting, people know what a spaceship is and they can kind of make, you know, build around that. Um, Whereas when you're creating an entirely new alien world, uh, especially one that's very busy and vibrant and there's a lot going on in it, um, you do have to probably spend more time doing world building and establishing the setting. Um, And I, I really like how this story kind of gets you to picture it's, it's like a, it's a very cool idea yeah um it's basically taking norse mythology and turning it into a great big like disneyland <laughs> essentially yeah and there's just so little um story where, where it is just doctor the doctor and river um especially the 11th doctor uh so it is nice just to get that pairing i think 
Just, yeah, that uh, was what was so refreshing about um, the Legends of River Song book, actually. Because um, even the audio series, they, they they usually feature one incarnation of the Doctor. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, it's good to get to see the focus being purely on her and Eleven, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and... Um, in this story especially, uh, there's this sort of through line going on, which is really interesting. Yeah, so again, like the other ones, it, it's an adventure, but there's another layer of depth there, isn't there, that you, you never got in the TV show. Um, so in this case, it's River is thinking that she might want children or a child uh, and wondering how to kind of broach that with the Doctor. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... It's a fascinating approach to take because it's not one I'd really associate with River at first. No. You know, um, at first glance, it's it's one of those things that obviously hasn't really been broached in the show before. Um, but at the same time, you do understand why it would cross her mind, um, mm. even if fleetingly. Because it's um, something I really do like about uh, J.T. Coleman's writing. Like you said, is there is there's always more going on um, than what's just on the surface. Um, and it makes the stories a lot more satisfying because there's, there's this additional like character richness going on. Mm. Um, but I like the fact that her and the Doctor, even though it's sort of running throughout the adventure, her and the Doctor never really talk about it properly. Um, it's kind of just just a thought that occurs to River and she's on the verge of talking about it, but she never really gets there. Um, and I think that was a really... Uh, interesting way to play it um, and I think it worked better than if they just sat down and had a long chat about parenthood <laughs> yeah yeah and it's uh, because they're at this theme park there's, there's children are all around them as well so there's this kind of grumpy teenage alien and then there's this uh, this younger kid that gets lost and the doctor tries to um, reunite him with his mum yeah distract him with a sonic screwdriver so there's these insights into She's getting these insights into how the Doctor interacts with children. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it feel like it's a story that would play out differently if she was with different incarnations as well. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the Eleventh Doctor is often sort of quite uh, um, kind of boyish and enthusiastic and exuberant. And mm-hmm. uh, you'd like when he, in kind of uh, Nightmare in Silver and things like that, he's, he's really like that. This is really excited to be at a theme park, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, stuff like dinosaurs on a spaceship when he still, he still has a Christmas list yeah. uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing. There's a, there's a childishness to him that you don't always get. So it's, uh, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting doctor to play this out with as well. Yeah, because he is very much, uh, like you say, the, the 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 big kid in a lot of ways. But um, again, with Eleven, uh, he's very much the ancient man in a young man's body. Um, and Matt Smith portrays him so well yeah. that way. Um, so you, um, I, you do know that there's more going on, uh, so much more going on than... Uh, just what's on the surface with his doctor but let's say uh, um another good reason um i think it, it's a really interesting uh, approach with river and this doctor having this through line is that in a lot of ways he is her doctor mm. um uh you know with 10 there's kind of a bit of a, a barrier there obviously because um he doesn't know her as well and um 
with the other doctors she meets. I haven't listened to all of the audios, but the ones I have listened to, uh, she's very much either quite enigmatic or they, they, they have some way of kind of keeping them at a distance in some sort of way. Um, either River has to be undercover or uh, the doctor forgets or she, you know, there's there's usually something keeping them at a, a bit more of a distance. Um, but with Eleven, um, it's truly her doctor and they know each other so well. And you only see it come that close with her and Twelve as well in yeah. Husbands of River Song. But obviously that's their last meeting mm. uh, before Science in the Library. Um, so, and I, I just, I love their dynamic as well. I think it's so... It's so enjoyable, but there's also a real kind of poignancy running through it. Yeah, yeah, I got the impression in this story that he, he probably did know that there was something on her mind. Because uh, he is, the other doctor's like that, isn't he? Kind of, as much as he's kind of in the moment and he's dashing around, he has these flashes of, of insight as well. Um, yeah. That he knows when, when there's something up or there's, uh, that there's something wrong with somebody. Uh, so yeah it's uh yeah really really interesting um and just again kind of cool and action-packed as well isn't it there's uh they go and see a a show of thor fighting a dragon and it's this yeah. huge robotic four-story dragon um that uh of course something goes wrong because it's uh it's like on the simpsons there's a light there's one of them where they go to some kind of um like theme park isn't there and marge says robots always go wrong when yeah. Homer's around, the doctor's exactly like that. Robots will always malfunction or turn murderous or something. When <laughs> it actually <laughs> reminds me of um, there's a, there's a YouTube video of a, a Disney animatronic of a dragon and it's caught on fire and it looks crazy, but um, that's what I thought of when I yeah. first read that story. Um, so obviously, it's very even though it's um, a very fantastical setting, it's actually quite quite true to life. Usually, something goes wrong yeah. <laughs> when there's animatronics involved. Yeah, um, or even anything like that. It's uh, you know, like Westworld or Jurassic Park or anything, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always um, going to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. They, this story is such a romp as well. Um, it does have that emotional through line, but it's just. It's so over the top, and I love it for that. Yeah. Uh, like at one point, like they go into the, to this like big underground area with the staff work because obviously uh, River and um, the Doctor saved this child uh, from being eaten by this robot dragon, mm-hmm. um, and they're obviously trying to find the people in charge of the park to find out what's what the hell was going on. And then like the staff are like the ones that aren't human who were dressed up as uh, Valkyries or Thor. Um, uh, they're like anthropomorphic beavers and yeah. moles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a reversal of, of Disneyland, I suppose, isn't it? Where mm. um, the, the people behind the scenes are the um, are the animals, or the, the anthropomorphized animals, instead of the yeah. the, the, um, the kind of the customer facing people. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's um, that's like the, the sort of Russell T Davies era thing as well, isn't it? Of animal-like yeah. aliens that, uh, that that you got a lot of then. There's um, one of the Tenth Doctor novels, isn't there, where there's um, those pirate badges. Oh, yeah. Uh, pirate Loop, I think it is. Oh. Yeah, it reminded me of that as well. So basically, any Earth animal there is a, <laughs> in the Doctor Who universe, there is an alien that looks like it. 
The nice thing about a prose format as well is that you can just go wild with your alien designs as well. They don't have to be confined by what prosthetics you can make. So yeah. if you want someone who's just a, a, a walking badger with robot legs, then just go for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or like the Jadoon, you can you don't have to have the rest of them keep their helmets on. Uh, no. <laughs> you've got one, one prosthetic head, yeah. But yeah, um, so they... Uh, so they, they don't really gain a lot of information from what's going on. Um, basically, someone's sabotaging uh, the animatronics and the different systems they have. Uh, but the Doctor and River go to uh, Valhalla, I think, mm-hmm. um, like the halls of Valhalla. Um, and um, it's, it's like this big uh, kind of restaurant uh, that's where they serve like traditional um, banquet meals or... Um, uh, the, the kind of you know big meat and and um, and alcohol things yeah. uh, mead that's the one um, <laughs> uh, but that ends up going terribly wrong because it's set up to be like almost like the inside of a TARDIS so uh, the dimensions are expanded so this hall is massive um, and um, that goes wrong and then River ends up rushing down um, with the Doctor. Um, and they find all the Valkyries, and they they end up charging around on these flying horses, and um, and Rivers in the lead with a sword, yeah. being uh, Brunhilde, and uh, yeah, it's, it's so over the top, but it's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's uh, and like you say, when when there's no constraints of budgets or special effects, it, uh, <laughs> it's brilliant. And it turns out it's the kind of sulky teenage alien that they they saw earlier that's behind the hacks. Yeah. He's. Uh, uh, and again, it's another little scene of, that, that shows River what the Doctor is like with kids. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's very forgiving and just says, well, you should give him a job because he can, he can test your security and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the way it ends, it's River's sort of thinking, well, the Doctor could have loads of kids all over the universe, uh, or he could be sort of this mad uncle who just looks in on them and things. Uh, it's, uh, it kind of shows that as much as well as she knows him, she, there could be loads of other stuff that she doesn't know, basically, that uh, his, his world is, is infinite. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that is a fascinating aspect of their dynamic. You see it uh, throughout the whole um, anthology uh, that this story comes from, um, because she does know the Doctor so incredibly well, but there are things that she doesn't know. Um, and, and you see it really well in the Husbands of River Song, actually, in that, that scene that is just perfect, where she genuinely believes that the Doctor is too unknowable and mm. that he couldn't possibly... Uh, love her the way she loves him um you know when she says you can't expect a sunset to admire you back um and you see that perception of the doctor in this story as well where she just feels like she knows him but she doesn't know all of him and because that uh she doesn't know how he could ever feel about her um Mm. and i that's why i absolutely love that scene um where he where 12 goes up to her and goes hello sweetie because you just know that that's just completely uh, transforming her view um, and kind of showing that actually he's not the distant kind of unknowable man that she sometimes feels he is. Yeah. And it's great because it's the, it's the the one time that the doctor kind of is ahead of her because uh, mm. most of the meetings 
she's she's kind of had uh, she knows a bit more she knows a bit more about the doctor's future oh absolutely uh, yeah so she already knew about um sort of demons run before it happened um because mm-hmm. the way their their lives kind of run in opposite directions it's the first time he really gets to surprise her because she doesn't know about his 12th incarnation doesn't recognize him so uh yeah it's uh it's like kind of shoes on the other foot for once it's uh it's a nice reversal yeah, reading the story actually made me really want to go and rewatch that episode. Actually, yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah it, I, I, it's just a, a really fun romp, um, but with with more character work uh, going on. That's really good. Yeah, and I think there's um, there's a little nod to Jenny T. Colgan's previous book, Dark Horizons, because when they, they they're watching some kind of reenactment, it's got Loki in it, um, and the Doctor kind of says, "That doesn't look anything like me." I think it's in Dark Horizons, which is um, kind of a Viking book set um, set in those times. That he's they call him Loki uh, because they they think he's this uh, this sort of trickster. And the Doctor says, "Well, you know, he's uh, he's kind of a many-faced uh, trickster." Like, of course, it's me, which ties into the um, what River says in when the Pandoric is going to open. Says, yeah, uh, all, the, all the wizards in stories uh, turn yeah. out to be him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, uh, yeah, he's very, there's very much uh, the big through line of the Doctor being mythologised um, and portrayed in different ways throughout history. So, yeah, that's a fun little reference. Yeah, definitely. The last two stories. Yeah, they're, they're very, um, they're, like, I think their original purpose was very much uh, just to be these little... Uh, little stories interspersed among the actual content of the scientific secrets of Jot 2. Um, I'm pretty sure each one is somehow showing, demonstrating some sort of... I haven't actually read the book, so I'm, I'm going on assumption here. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that the stories kind of relate to some sort of subject that the chapter's tackling. Um, so I imagine that they're... Or, or maybe they're just little snippets in between. Um, but yeah, they're... they're, they're, they're they're fun little stories. There's not yeah. a whole lot to them, but even then, I think um, Jenny Colgan does a little bit more than uh, you maybe expect. Like with um, mm. with the first story, which is uh, oh, what's that one called? The, um, the, the Empty Towers. Yeah, uh, it actually features the Doctor and um, Clara go to Blackpool, which is yeah. obviously where Clara come, comes from. Um, so it's nice getting some insight into her returning home, essentially, but obviously it's wildly different uh, because they end up landing in the far future or a far future where everything's overgrown. There's, like, herds of donkeys yeah. <laughs> majestically galloping across the beach together. Um, you still love the idea that donkeys would take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, obviously that, that premise is something you could do a lot more with if it was mm. a longer story. Um uh, again, that kind of gets back to like uh, I, I love the flashes of what she does uh, with the Doctor and Clara here. So I'd love to see more of that. Um, and um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun little story, and um, it is nice getting those little insights. Like, there's a lovely bit where um, the Doctor and Clara end up in uh, the ballroom um, of Blackpool Tower, yeah. I think it is, um, and. Uh, they they dance <laughs> in the ballroom together, um, and um, that's a nice little scene. Uh, and and then the doctor goes on the donkey ride at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then they um, I actually really like I 
the the last story as well. Um, Long way down. Yeah, it's it's very short. Uh, it's, yeah. it's only a few pages long, but it's just really like just fun and silly. And uh, the Doctor falls out of the TARDIS while yeah. they're hovering over a planet because he's trying to put a window box yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on. And so Clara's watching him fall. Um, and then she, and I really, what I really like about this story is that it shows uh, Clara interacting with the TARDIS. Um, so you can you can see that she kind of knows how to. Uh, control it a little bit yeah. um but the TARDIS is still kind of like not listening to her um because obviously they have a bit of a, a rocky history um and then so it, the TARDIS keeps flashing back a little bit earlier in time but the doctor keeps falling out every time yeah and it and causes they up, it each day like the first time it actually is what causes him to fall out isn't it so mm, it's um it's yeah. like a bootstrap uh, paradox yeah <laughs> Um, and you just end up the heart, the tires keeps popping around all of the timelines simultaneously. So there's just it's just raining doctors yeah. <laughs> the tires um, until uh, they find out that um, that the uh, the tires was actually doing that uh, to create like a, a safety net, a temporal safety net for the doctor to land in because Clara ends up falling out as well yeah. eventually. Um, so yeah, that's just a, a sweet little story, um, but yeah. it's, it's very it's very fun. It reminded me of those sort of um, time and space little sort of mini episodes. I think it was on Comic Relief one year, mm-hmm. where there's uh, I can't quite remember what happens, but it's just that kind of circular thing, isn't it? Where there's there's two Amys. Oh yeah, that, oh, that, 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 that was hilarious. Yeah, when when the TARDIS ends up materialising inside itself. That's it. Yeah. Um, and every time someone walks out the door, they walk out the door inside the TARDIS as well. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, it, it was it's very much like that. Um, but there was again nice little character moments uh, interspersed in that as well. Um, and I think that's the, the kind of the biggest takeaway from this collection for me um, is the fact that uh, Jenny Colgan is an author. She does. She takes uh, these premises that could very much be told straight uh, without any real emotional hook to them, mm-hmm. um, and she does a lot more with them. Um, I, I mean, the A Shield of Me one requires that. Uh, it's absolutely essential to have that emotional uh, depth, and she absolutely nails it. I think that story is so well told, mm-hmm. so well written. Um, she gets her, her voice so much, and actually it's, it's been a massive inspiration uh, for writing uh, me and our series, that story in particular. Um, not that it's quite the same character necessarily, because obviously she's, she's got very different experiences since then, mm-hmm. but it's a very good foundation uh, because it's it's very interesting to have that, uh, see such an important event in her life from her eyes. Um, and uh, the Clara one... Um, I still feel like I, I might need to read it again to really uh, digest it. But uh, again, even though it, do, it very much plays the Doctor companion companion relationship as companion in distress, Doctor saves her. It does use that uh, to really great effect, um, and um, it uses that to actually say something really interesting about the cost of travelling with the Doctor and how Clara understands that, um, even though she won't necessarily admit that. Um, and uh, the, obviously the picnic at Asgard um, and the, the kind of through line of River's understanding of the Doctor and how she feels about their future together um, so yeah, I, I think it's just a, a really strong collection 
Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, for me as well, the um, the Ashilda one is the is the is the standout one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it kind of stays with you, doesn't it? It's, uh, it's so well written and and yeah, just kind of that sense of of despair uh, mm-hmm. all the way through it that you you can see you know what's coming there's little flashes of hope throughout like when the aliens turn up you think are they going to save them when you think the kids are getting better um that she's managed to stave off the plague using sort of um, by sterilizing the water by boiling and that kind of thing yeah um, but yeah it just I, makes it harder at the end when uh, when it does uh, when it, the inevitable does happen exactly and it works so well um like you were saying at the beginning, because it doesn't feel like... It feels like an anti-Doctor Who story almost. Yeah. Um, in the same way that, you know, episodes like... Uh, episodes of Torchwood would sometimes go into. Um, it's this kind of feeling of... Uh, it feels very real, even though there's she's an immortal woman and there's aliens involved. It feels very much... Uh, very grounded and and it's it's all the more effective because of that um there's an, a, an amazing the, the the final couple of scenes where she knows that her children uh as good as dead um and she's got her maya chip her second one and she's like which one do i give it to i have three children who are yeah. dying and she doesn't she can't split it she's trying to cut it but it won't uh, it won't split and um and she's like, I obviously can't give it to the baby because the baby will be stuck as a baby for its whole life. Yeah. Um, but so she's choosing between her little girl and her little boy, and um, that's a that, that's you can imagine that must be an unbelievably horrific thing for a mother to go through. Yeah. Um, and then there's the and, worry that um, they might stay in that weakened, ill, mm, uh, kind of exactly. full of pain as well. That she, she doesn't quite know how the technology works. And you just, you feel her absolute, she's just furious at the doctor, mm. saying that she'd, you know, she'd do some pretty horrible things to him yeah. um, if she ever found him because of him essentially putting her in this position, um, which is, is kind of, it adds adds it adds to it that the doctor actually shows up at the end, unknown to her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just such a good story. Um and it's one I'd recommend anyone who's remotely interested in the character uh, to read because it's it's just so good. Um, and it's definitely one of my favourite uh, prose two stories. Well, thank you very much for joining me to discuss this book today. I uh, really enjoyed uh, talking about that with you uh, and the and trailer. Likewise. So, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you for uh, an episode of Series 11. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I really can't wait. This whole series is going to be such an experience. I I, I feel like that. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great because it, there was all this kind of excitement for, for Series 10. Um, and even when the first episode went out, I started feeling kind of nostalgic as soon as it went out because I knew it was the last series for Capaldi and yeah. that um, Bill probably wouldn't be staying around beyond that. And Nardole wouldn't be, so it was kind of, whereas this feels like it's a new era um, with a new Doctor that's going to have, you know, kind of, well, hopefully, multiple seasons and the companions mm. are going to get to know over multiple seasons. So, um, if anything, I'm kind of more excited even than uh, than Series 10 because that felt like, this looks great, but we're only going to get one series of it. Yeah, the beginning of the end, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, this is just totally a new adventure, really. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Well, I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. It's and, been it's uh, been brilliant being on again. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, I love I love all the things we get to talk about. If you don't mind me waffling about various characters, usually Clara. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. And um, really looking forward to um, the Untold Adventures. Uh, as I say, I'll put links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of information about all the writers on there at the moment, um, so it's well worth checking out. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're currently doing a a weekly creator spotlight, which teases a little bit about the story and uh, the people behind it. So the writer and uh, the artist illustrating that episode. Uh, we've actually finished uh, the core cool story ones now. Um, so the next one going up on Sunday will be uh, a spotlight on our concept artists who are doing the general series artwork. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. Fantastic. Very much looking forward to that. I think it's going to uh, soften the pain of, of Series 11 finishing. Uh, and then oh, I guess we'll get the Christmas special not long not long after, really, because this series will finish in December, get the Christmas special. Mm-hmm. And then early 2019, uh, we've got uh, the Untold Adventures to look forward to as well. Yeah, we're very much uh, timing it so that it, it's just as you're missing Doctor Who. Yeah. So you've got something to tide you over until the next <laughs> series. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, thanks very much. Uh, Thank you. Join me next week when Colin Neal will be joining me and we'll be talking about Operation Volcano, which is the Titan Comics seventh Doctor story by Andrew Cartmel and Ben Aronovich. We'll see you then. Bye.